Every January, the fancy food show comes to Las Vegas and the hottest food brands showcase their newest products. The biggest food trends of 2024 start right here. And my co-host, fancy food writer Sarah Lohman, was on the ground this year working as a trend spotter. So today on CCAST Las Vegas, we're going to get the inside scoop from Sarah about what we'll be seeing on menus and grocery store aisles starting this year, and maybe even in Las Vegas. It's Thursday, February 1st. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Hey, Sarah Lohman. Uh, welcome back to the podcast from your day at the convention grounds. <laughs> Hi, David. Yeah, I was just there. You know, I hadn't heard about this before, but now I'm seeing uh, it kind of posted in a, a few different places. So mm. for our listeners, what is the fancy food show? And answer the titular question, is it fancy? Is it fancy? Yeah, I think they're kind of using fancy as sort of a catch-all to mean um, you might see some big food companies there, but they're going to be showcasing their maybe artisanal lines, mm. something sort of innovative, something that focuses on nutrition or that's organic. It's right. a really big catch-all. So, like, you will see some big brands, but maybe big brands that are known for producing a really high-quality handcrafted product. But I really love it because often this is where startups um, – um, really new small companies are buying a booth in hopes that they're going to catch the eye of a major buyer. So, uh, you know, I went as press and also as an official show trend spotter. But the people that uh, the brands are really trying to court are like a buyer from Whole Foods or oh. from Heinen's or even from Albertsons. And especially here in Las Vegas, a lot of the um, business owners were telling me that they're talking to people who are putting foods into casinos, right? Whether oh. it's like vending machines machines or the mini bar or like welcome baskets for luxury clients. Like, so there is a very specific Las Vegas commerce connection because we are so connected to tourism, luxury hotels. And then of course, like major brands have an outlet here and that can mean you go national. So that's sort of the dream. So you've got all these sort of littler guys competing with the big guys. I'm, I'm thinking of shows like CES, you know, which take up the whole convention space. And of course, like the major players have the giant displays and, yeah, the, yeah. you know, the bells and the whistles and the fancy show spokespeople out there hawking. Is that what it looks like here? Um, it's not quite as big as CES. It's not the whole convention center. In fact, this year, the center was split between fancy foods and the world of concrete, which mm. we have not done an inside take on, but is one of Las Vegas's biggest shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, Waiting for so, the edible concrete fair to come yeah, somehow. A mashup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, so it won't be like big tech brands necessarily or like big brands, but countries and states will buy like whole sections and they'll do this to support their small scale, like handmade products oh, that's uh, and clever. local makers. So like Vermont is up in there and they're like all maple syrup and cheese. Right. I avoided Vermont this year because it's like notorious for you get sucked in and just end up eating cheese for three hours. Cheese coma. 
She's got, which it's is a dream. Don't get me wrong, but I had a job and a very limited time to do it. So I avoided Vermont this year, but it definitely is a highlight. California was there. Mississippi was there, but also like Japan was a partner country. And so they had a huge pavilion. So basically these will be state or country sponsored areas where then, you know, local makers can apply and like get a space in there for free and get some of that cost sort of taken care of by a larger organization. Oh, that's really clever. Why do you think they choose Vegas to have their convention? Well, it used to be in San Francisco for a number of years. And honestly, it just was too expensive. They want this to be available for more than just like the big brands and like wealthy countries. There are a lot of like independent small brands looking to expand and get their first big break. And so they want to make that accessible. So by moving to Vegas, we could offer the same facilities in a very centralized location and a much more affordable like cost of living for the week for the people coming in. And I think it's nice, too, because we're more centralized in the West. There are two fancy food shows per year. One is in New York in the summer at the Javits Center. And then this is the winter fancy food show or Fancy Foods West, it's sometimes called too. Okay. So now you've set the table really well. And now you're coming up to the table as an official trend spotter. So I'm really curious what trends you've spotted. But first of all, how does does that even work? What What are you looking for? So this is my third show. I've done one in New York, and this is my second one in Las Vegas, but the first one where I'm there in an official capacity as opposed to, like, press. And basically, the local organization reached out to me, and the idea is they kind of pitch categories of, they call it, like, pre-trends. We got this, like, press release of, like, here is where we're seeing some movement, and it'll be, like, very general things like beverages, breakfast, crunchy snacks. Those are real ones they gave me, by the way, and I'm like, oh, breakfast is trending? No kidding. So it's very general categories, but then we eventually kind of put our things in this massive Excel where we can get a little more specific, where it's like, is this a new or innovative ingredient or innovative packaging um, or upcycling was a big one this year? Mm. Like, how do we reduce food waste? But we also have the freedom to be like, hey, I saw this product and I don't wouldn't call this a trend yet, but I think that this is like really on the horizon for the direction the food is going in and deserves notice. Oh, neat. And so... I guess, what are the ones that caught your fancy at the Fancy Food Fest? Yes. So, I mean, let me just say, too, that I absolutely walked four miles that day (laughs) back and forth over the conference center. Get your steps. Get your steps. Got those steps in because usually it would be like I'd be in aisle 100 and then I get a text from aisle 3300 of like, hey, so-and-so wants to meet you. And I'm just like hustling. So I got those steps in. And I, you know, David, I'm pretty proud of us because I saw two major trends that we've actually already covered on the show. So we are trend spotters and perhaps trend setters as well. City cast. Um, Seriously. So one of them is the non-alcoholic drinks, which I did sort of expect going into this was going to be a big trend. But I got some interesting statistics. According to Tilden, which is like a non-alcoholic, let's say it's akin to a seed lip, but it's a little bit more of like premixed cocktails. They said that 40% of Americans are flexi drinkers, meaning sometimes they drink, sometimes they don't. And that 43 of drinking adults are sober. They don't drink at all. And then another one called RSRV Collective said 94% of their customers also drink alcohol. So we're Mm. past this point of like non-alcoholic drinks and mixers are just for people who don't drink. You know, we're all choosing to drink or not at different times. So one of the most interesting brands that I ran across was called Mixly, which is also a woman and LGBTQIA plus owned and operated, which is cool. And they produce really high quality mixers with excellent ingredients. It's also sweetened with honey. So it adds like a deeper layer of flavor. And the 
the way they put it is they said they're bridging the gap between drinkers and non. Like basically Mm. you buy one big bottle of a mixer from Mixly and you have it at your party and then people mix whatever they want. You know, maybe they're mixing tequila, but maybe they're mixing soda water. Got it. Okay. Cool trend. Um, Cool trend. And and so you saw a lot of products at the Fancy Food Fest that uh, supported that trend and suggests it's going to grow. Another like easy favorite of mine that maybe you've heard of too is hop water. Have you ever tried them? Yeah, not not a fan, but I, I see it around a lot. Do you not love a hoppy beer? Yeah, that's my problem. That's it, it. it. Yeah. I mean, it's so hop water is basically seltzer water with different. It can have different flavors. Like I had a grapefruit hops one that's infused with real hops, not hops oil. So the flavor is just as like complex as like a hoppy IPA. I first heard about them through my friend Kim Miller at Sober in Vegas on Instagram. And mm-hmm. she is sober and she really misses hoppy IPAs. And so for her, this it really is like you drink it and it, it really has a sensation of an IPA, which I don't normally love, but I actually really did love the complexity of hop water. And what's the other one that we mentioned on the podcast? Dates. Dates, baby. Dates. Dates, I know. Dates are a huge trend. There were actually two different booths for people that were growing in the Coachella Valley around Palm Springs. One is some friends of mine, Rancho Meladuco. They just released, oh, you got to try it, my book talk, David. They're the ones that released the Rare and Unusual Dates box. Yeah, we were so inspired. We bought our own box and have shared it with friends who have come over and everybody loves it. That's it, so great. It, it really is. A, I, I love it. I I didn't think that dates would be making. A, I mean, they've been around forever. And yeah. as we talked about on the podcast, Southern Nevada basically saved dates for the world. Yes. Um, so that's really intriguing. So what's what's the newest thing with dates? Well, it is in part the oldest thing in that there are these small farms that are reviving these historical varieties that were traditionally grown in the Coachella Valley. So there was Rancho Maladuco, and then there was Orchid Dates, another small company out of Coachella. But then because there's this renewed interest in dates, in part because of like health food industry stuff, there was another company from Tunisia called uh, Bujibel, and they were offering date products. So it's like everything from like date syrups, date sugar, date flakes, date pit oil, and date seed flour, which actually is another interesting trend I've seen. This goes along with the like reduction of food waste. So dates, also grapeseed oil coming from California and grapeseed flour, and then raspberry seed oil and flour coming from Oregon, which grows the most raspberries in the in the country. So really innovative. Yeah. Yeah. So it, like these seed flowers like this, it's very, very, very new. And so I think it's something we're going to see like hitting the markets at like sprouts or whole food, like kind of a niche high end product. Yeah, a lot of these do sound high-end. Uh, let me ask you this, Sarah. Yeah. As far as Las Vegas is concerned, I mean, we have a really interesting approach to food in our valley and a lot of different spots, and we do talk about it on, yeah. the, on the podcast quite a bit. What at this convention did you see that may have an impact here in Las Vegas? Okay, I've definitely got two answers for you because these are trends that I've seen already playing out here in the Valley. I mean, one of them is coffee. You know firsthand, David, what a coffee city we are. Right, right, yeah, and growing. I so enjoyed your coffee crawl around downtown. (laughs) 
I can't imagine like your state of being after going to whatever it was, six coffee shops. But we have great coffee. Vesta is one of your favorites. Absolutely. So there is great coffee, you know, really happening, especially I think here on the West Coast. I think we're killing it. Um, and this is generally known, I learned from a company called Pressed out of Phoenix. Oh, sure. Uh, so they came selling both beans because they can be like a bean consultant and supply beans, but also their uh, canned nitro cold brew. And I thought it was awesome. It, they just start with really premium beans and the coffee is like not bitter. The acidity is just right. It's not too, I'm not a fan of like a super acidic coffee, although I know that's sort of the signature of other brands. It was so smooth and so wonderful. And so I asked him, you know, what do you think is next in coffee? And he said, well, this is third wave coffee. Like Vesta is definitely third wave coffee. Okay. And it's blew, this blew my mind, David. Like first wave is Folgers. Okay. Uh, Second okay. wave is Starbucks, which is now mostly making milkshakes as opposed to like the good coffee they started with. And third wave is like Press or Vesta. So premium beans, high quality roasting. And Press told me too that the emphasis is on like less sugar as well. So kind of like a reactionary to what's happening in Starbucks right now, too. And they're hoping to expand to Vegas. So honestly, if you see, I don't know if they'll open up a retail location first, but I have a feeling that their canned cold brews are going to end up in stores. And I would highly recommend grabbing one. Yeah, they also do, you know, small batch roasting there and, you know, always looking for uh, spots. When a new coffee shop opens in Las Vegas, they have a lot of decisions to make on where they're going to yeah. source their their coffee from if they're not doing roasting themselves. And so companies like Press and others, you know, are vying for our market. So it's really interesting that that's still thriving. It doesn't show yes. signs of slowing down. I mean, I love Vegas, but I love Vegas as a coffee city. And, you know, one quick coffee trend, too, we're going to see more Vietnamese coffee, I think, which I'd only seen on the East Coast, but I saw it a lot at this show. And Vietnamese coffee is iced coffee shaken with with whole cream, sweetened condensed milk. So mm. it's like it's kind of the opposite of third red coffee in that it's really rich and sweet. But like it's just got those two ingredients in it. And I really love it. So I saw a lot of pre-bottled products, but I think it's something that we're going to start seeing more served at coffee shops this summer. Okay, so more fancy or high-end coffee stuff coming to the Valley. Maybe um, like international coffee flavors. Yeah, yeah. So what else is uh, important about this convention for Las Vegas? Why does this convention matter? Well, I think this convention matters for Las Vegas because it really is forecasting like the trends for the year. You know, the uh, New York one is in June. And so it's kind of the six month rotation. And I just think it's so interesting that all of these like premium food brands are landing in Las Vegas and now really seeing it as a market too. just one more thing I want to mention is Prime Roots. They are a vegan charcuterie and deli company, which is something else I've been seeing around a lot. But their product is really unique in that they are using koji, which is um, the mold that's used in soy sauce production and is mm -hmm. responsible for that super savory flavor in soy sauce. They're using it to cure their meats and are delivering oh. these really meaty tasting vegan meats. And a lot of the conversation that we had is she's like, well, you're local. Like, who do you think we should reach out to? Well, vegan, vegan restaurants are definitely trending in Las Vegas. So now Huge. new products for them that you spotted at this convention. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I recommended 745. I just went there and had a vegan charcuterie board that they're really proud of. And so I thought that Prime Roots' products would be a good match. So as much as these companies are coming here to go national, and this is a huge convention, nothing's as big as CES or the yeah, world yeah. of concrete. Right. But this is this is up there. It's pretty big. So other than like the economic impact, I think that we get this like really special like peek into what's up and coming next. 
So you wandered those aisles. Yeah. Uh, you probably took in a lot. Yeah. What are the items that you saw that there's no possible way they're going to trend? Or what were just <laughs> the ones that you were like, what the F was that? I mean, I can always be surprised. The one that I think is maybe unlikely are Japanese gifting fruits. It's like beautifully packaged, perfect in appearance, like the sweetest, bestest fruits. Like what? Like pears? Because I've seen the pears like in their little fancy netting uh, at Costco. This is even more. It is extra. Maybe we'll put something on the Instagram, but it can be like tangerines. It can be strawberries. Melons are especially prime, though. There's something like I I don't know if there's also like another cultural thing going on, but like. So are they putting little hats on them? Googly eyes? What's. Yeah, kind of. Oh my well, gosh. No, no, no. Think oh. absolutely elegant Japanese packaging. Like they come in this beautiful oh. box, like the wrapped in gold paper. Even the it's like the fruit they pick has to be absolutely perfect. And even mm. the way that it's harvested, like the melons all had this little like some of the vine was still attached and it had to be at this very specific, very aesthetic angle. And that melon cost a hundred dollars. So it's Wait, a good gift. What? Yeah. $100 per melon. When I walked up to the specific, the melon stand, because I saw this at a couple places, there were also these like buyers from New York and they were just like, hey, you got to check out this melon. It's $100. $100 melon? $100 melon? Like they just kept saying $100 melon, which is very yeah. funny. But again, they're supposed to be like these beautiful gifts of the best fruit ever. To me, growing up in Ohio, they tasted just as good as like, there'd be these roadside stands with nobody staffing it and just like a pile of melons and you shove $5 in a coffee can and take a melon. Yeah. That's what it tasted like to me. But, you know, maybe we don't have access to food that good everywhere. $100 yeah. melon. $100 melon. Sounds like a David Mamet play. All right, one last <laughs> one. You posted something a, a, yeah. like a gingerbread house that was made out of meat. Yeah, the charcuterie chalet. Now, I've since learned that this was a, a kind of Pinterest trend, but it wasn't a big one. But there is a company out there who's trying to produce like gingerbread kits, but for what I take it to call it a meat chalet. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. Let's just end it right there. there there's no chance that that's going to show up in Vegas, is it? I don't think so. I mean, I think you like order it online. There is something revolting about it. I think it's about the idea of how much that meat has been handled. Uh, oh, boy. As someone yeah. pointed out, it's a concept that's coming dangerously close to Timothy Chalamet. So I propose for a Christmas edition of the Meat Chalet, a trim the tree meat chalet. Sarah, that's amazing. Um, thank you so much for doing that footwork for us and checking out all these uh, food trends at the Fancy Food Fest. I had a great time, and I'm going to pick us up a charcuterie chalet for our next no. CityCast holiday party. Team uh, building, David. Gross. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show, hey, go tell a friend. Rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Till then, stay lucky. Whether it's like vending machines or um, in the, what's that, dry bar? What the hell is that called in the hotel room? Oh, the mini bar. The mini bar. Right. I don't know why I couldn't find that word.